Hello, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. It is always an honor and a pleasure to have Maida Commerce as a guest on this show. Today, I welcome her back because she has a new and her fifth book out. Previously, she has published a self-help book for women with an accompanying workbook, two volumes of poetry, and a novel. This time, she has written her memoir titled Womaning. Throughout her career, public work, and activism, Maida has been a teacher and a healer. For over 20 years, she has especially brought these two dimensions together in her development of story medicine. Her memoir is a continuation of that development. Maida is here to share with us how this work came to be and what it is intended to do. So welcome back, Maida. Thank you for being with me again. Thank you, David. It's good to be back with you. So you have um, written a self-help book and two volumes of poetry and a novel. Mm -hmm. So why a memoir this time? Well, the memoir was, uh, there's a progression in terms of uh, the books that I've written. Um, As I gained more voice and more clarity, um, at the same time, I had a focused message. And... um, After writing a self-help book behind which I stood in hiding uh, and revealed as little of myself as possible, and then with books of poetry, uh, I could use imagery and metaphor and picture painting and all those kinds of uh, means of communicating. Uh, In the novel was my first foray in terms of wilted storytelling. Um, All of it getting at the same truth. Um, But now with the memoir, there's no subterfuge. (laughs) There's no... Uh, there's no hiding. It's it's me. And um, I had one uh, friend to to say that it was gutsy. Um, and I thanked her for that. But I didn't feel. I mean, I alone am aware of the journey that it has required for me uh, to write this book and it and it has been a journey and I think the the voice in this book is as clear and as honest as uh it needs to be and at the same time I want to I want to specify that I've never been a writer that writes for the sake of writing I've always written for the sake of healing uh, never to entertain, but to always invite my audience to do some similar work of their own. Well, in in in, in that sense, uh, you speak of this memoir as a woman-centered memoir. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, I have learned in the 30 years that I've been working with the healing power of story uh, in one way or another, I have learned that uh, stories connect us um, and, and, and therein we find healing just by knowing that we're not alone. I'll never will forget that the first time I produced my play back in Atlanta, a woman came up to me after the production, after the performance, and said, how did you know my story? And I didn't know her story or her, but 
what what I had tried to do was to uh, tell enough of my own truth. And it has never failed that whenever I do that, it touches other people who have been through similar experiences. So I am convinced that that remains true. And the more I show up authentically and in a position of strength and clarity, uh, it, it will not only touch but call forward other people who link with uh, what I'm saying. Well, you talk about specifically that um, in being a woman-centered memoir, it's about uh, what it takes to become and be a woman in mm-hmm. in this society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even though we, uh, you know, we don't wear burqas, we aren't denied the uh, opportunity to go to school, at least not uh, in, a, in an overt way. We might be denied it in covert ways um, based on class and other forms of uh, elimination and, and discrimination. Women here can vote and work and drive cars and, you know, things that uh, other women in developing nations cannot do. But it is no joke being a woman here. Uh, We just were denied a right to make decisions about our own bodies by a group of unelected men um, and that that stands. So, you know, that's one example of how the patriarchy continues to exercise control over our lives uh, for its own purposes. Well, you have spoken uh, on more than one occasion uh, that I've that I've listened in on um, about the importance to you uh, of Melodoma Patrice Somme. Uh, yes, Melodoma's work. Uh, I want to specify his work, what he left, uh, because he is now passed, and I'm still processing. That's one passing that I'm still processing. Uh, but he was called. If you you know anything about him and his life, he has a memoir entitled uh, Of Water and the Spirit. And in that book, he speaks about the meaning of his name and uh, his his experiences growing up at the hands of a Jesuit priest who had captured him and, and taken him off miles and miles away from his birth village and tried their best to train out of him all of uh, what he had learned at the uh, knee of his grandfather and in his uh, village and uh, filled the hole with um, reading and writing and speaking of English and learning the Bible Uh, and the power, uh, lessons of power that came with all of that. They took power over him and his life, and then how he was able to return home ultimately and uh, receive his initiation and then be told that he, um, because he could read and write, needed to go out, and then there, his elders and grandfather reminded him that uh, his name meant he who he who makes friends with a stranger. And then he set out uh, 
to do just that. He, uh, but he did it by showing. He did it with peace, and he did it with uh, through his educational process. And uh, I think the man earned two P two master's degrees and two PhDs, and in that work. Uh, he never lashed out. Uh, he continued to hold up his indigenous knowledge and training. Um, and they could not take that from him. <laughs> so, and, 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 and leave three books, a book on ritual, his memoir, and his... Uh, or his autobiography, and uh, a book called The Healing Wisdom of Africa, uh, which gives to the people who were stolen from that continent uh, a volume through which they could, or we could, because I'm in that number, um, relearn and reclaim the things that had been stolen and snatched from us. Um, and that is why Melodoma's work is so important to me because uh, once I had those volumes in my hand, I was able to um, not only embrace them, but... but um, recognize that he was that there were seedlings and sprouts of some of that knowledge and information already in me but that I couldn't fully grasp it because I didn't have the full story but I do now and I think I thank him and I thank uh the creator uh for what he was able to do in the time that uh, we had with him. Well, um, even though this is a memoir mm -hmm. um, and not a novel, um, mm -hmm. it's a story still. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, in your in your story medicine process. Uh, of which I've had the benefit of getting to learn uh, in one mm -hmm. of your classes. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about stories as being intersectional and contextual and generational. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for you? Um, that there's always a backstory and that there are always outside influences uh, I try to speak uh, not necessarily mm, not necessarily hold oppression and my experience of oppression up throughout the stories in this memoir. It is a collection of stories that are told through various periods of time. Uh, but the oppression is there, and it can uh, speak for itself. I think there's one time in the in the in the writing that I did have to point it out, or I felt the need to point it out. Um, but what I'm what I mean when I start talking about the contextuality or the contextual nature, uh, I am known to uh, create words when I need them, but I don't think I need <laughs> to create a word in this conversation. So I will just say that uh, contextual is what I'm referring to when I speak on the fact that my birth, here's the best example of that, that I have, my birth, uh, means that I, or is a way of pointing out that I arrived 
in the midst of many, many stories. And so the stories were rich in the atmosphere of my birth, of my arrival. And that made my, that made uh, the backstory contextual. Uh, these people welcomed me. Um, I can't say that. Uh, but they welcomed me based on where they were at that place in time. Uh, in their lives, what was challenging them, what was motivating them, what was saving and keeping them, all of those things. Uh, that is what they brought to welcome this new new family member. Um, and the generational aspect is um, the fact that uh, here I was living in a family where um, racism had definitely uh, left an imprint. Uh, I was the first brown-skinned child to be born uh, in my mother's lineage. And so that meant that they could no longer pass. Uh, my grandmother, who helped raise me, uh, could pass for white and would laugh about the fact that sometimes people would ask her what she was and uh, that she, you know, would engage in a guessing game with them. And uh, so it became uh, clear to me at a certain time in my development, I suppose, when I was in my teens and then growing uh, into maturity, that I needed to uh, be very clear about my identity and be very um, proud about that and not, uh, not uh, fade away into the shadows while the rest of the family was celebrating uh, their light-skinned privilege. Um, and that is also uh, part of the context that I'm getting at, as well as the generational uh, aspect of the experience of my life and then my daughter's life. Well, in your memoir, you have uh, divided... Uh, the book into uh, three periods of your life mm -hmm. uh, that mm -hmm. you've titled Girling, Mothering, and Womaning. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell us about those terms. Well, um, it's very, it, it's a, um, girling is not the, entire, the entirety of my childhood. But it points to some of the stories and memories that I have that I've not talked about in prior works uh, of being a girl. And uh, one of the points that uh, was very important for me to make was that... Um, I did not have the luxury of being a child. There was always a push to be more mature, to be stronger, to be able to do more, to get, uh, get along quickly. Uh, and and I caught that, and that this is cultural. Um, we're talking less than a hundred years outside of emancipation when I was born. 
Um, and black girls, uh, particularly if you were the first born black girl, your immediate job was to be your mother's right hand and to help her get as much in the household done as possible. And so uh, that meant that as soon as you could hold a broom, as soon as you could stand up to the kitchen sink, as soon as you could do this or that to help mother, uh, you were expected to get busy and, and, and do it. Um, so there was the dutiful side of girling, but then there was also the other side that, that uh, you begin to dream about growing up so that you thought that it would be easier, your life would be easier as a grown woman than it was as a child. So that's girling, uh, which you, you know, you bypass childhood as quickly as possible and become proficient in uh, completing tasks. Um, mothering, I went from girling to mothering. And um, that's also cultural or can be. Uh, and for me, it was about finding love and finding um, finding family. Um, it's as simple as that, and it's as complicated as that. And then womaning um, came much later. That was when it became it became more about what was in me wanting to be expressed, not the roles that I was playing and not the need to uh, take care of my children and my marriage in my home, but uh, what was it really inside me wanting to come out? And that's, I kind of leave the book at that question because uh, where the book stops, I'm beginning to, um, I'm beginning to ask myself, what it is, who who am I, first of all, outside of uh, these roles? And what do I really want? Um, well, what did it take for you to produce this book? Mm. This book uh, was a work in progress over the course of 20 years. Um, it began as a story, a single story that I wrote in response to a question that my eldest son asked me one day. And, uh, it, it the, his question was why when he was thumbing through the family albums, Mom, why do I find in here so many pictures of my sister and so many pictures of my brother and so few pictures of me? And he is, out of my three children, he is the one who expresses himself more readily and also uh, expresses his love for me more readily. And so for him to say that, uh, just really, it, it, it was uh, irritating, first of all, and I dismissed it, you know. Um, but then, because we were in the midst of moving, and that's why he was sitting there and thumbing through the album. Uh, but once we got settled and I, picked up the albums, and I thought initially he just didn't see them all, you know. But going through, he, he was right. He, 
there were more of his, uh, the firstborn, which was my daughter, and the baby, uh, my youngest son. And so I, I realized that I needed to write a story to answer his question so that, again, he would understand the context into which he was born and not take personally the fact that there might have been fewer pictures of him, but that the quality around him, the love uh, that was present and into which he was welcomed, uh, that he could appreciate those things. Uh, so that's what started me to write him. But once I wrote his, then I wrote my daughter's, then I wrote my youngest son's, and then I was on a roll. I something if there was momentum, there was uh, I just loved working with all those memories and all that um, energy, and uh, that kept me going. And I just wanted to capture. Um, I wanted to capture as much of that as I could. And it, and I wanted to frame it in different ways. First, I wanted to frame it in terms of all the social action that was happening at the time that I, I grew up and uh, that they had been born in the, in the post, uh, uh, post-movement uh, era and had inherited the benefits from that. So I looked at different ways of framing it. And then finally I settled on um, just my development and I kept it about me as the, as the narrator um, and the, the stories about the uh, major moments, life-shaping, life-changing moments of my life and about the people that I loved the most. So hopefully that answers your question, David, about what it took. It was not easy. It was arduous. And uh, the story, I'll say this and then I'll stop. The stories that took the most out of me uh, was the story of my daughter's birth the longest walk and uh, prime time, the story of my second marriage. Um, the, those stories whipped me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I felt like I had to turn myself inside out in order to sit long enough and write them. Uh, and I, I felt like that those two stories represent uh, some of the hardest times, some of the best times, as well as some of the hardest times of my life. Well, what would you say um, this process did for? Oh, my Lord, it taught me many things about myself. It uh, pointed out, um, I mean, it, it, it took me back to those moments and helped me to see, and this is one of the most wonderful teachings about story medicine that I have. Uh, it helped me to see the things that I missed in those moments. Um, I, I do describe myself as a slow learner, but I'm also a very deep learner. And so when I had the stories there and I was able to go back, I was able to connect the dots, not just in each story, but from story to story, uh, even though the stories can and do stand alone. They were written individually, but there are things that and elements that connect them. Um, 
So a lot of learning, a lot of gathering up uh, lost parts of myself, things that I had forgotten uh, that I had lost. And uh, discovery of what mattered most to me, discovery of what I hadn't even been aware of that had been sitting in plain sight, uh, but that I had been too busy to even notice. Well, you mentioned earlier that um, race, obviously, uh, was in the background of your whole life experience, and racism was a, was a was a undercurrent. Uh, even though, mm-hmm. even though, in, in I've, you're, I've, you know, you gave me the honor of reading it, and I've loved the book, um, but it, you you really don't address directly uh, mm-hmm. racism, but it, you say it's a character. Uh, in your work. Uh, so tell us about that more. Oh, right. Um, in school, really what, what I gained from my education as a mature student was a way to frame and understand and um, pull together uh, the things that I live, had lived through, uh, overcome, uh, and, and also a way to heal myself. Um, and I learned the healing power of story in school, so I'm very grateful uh, for that. But uh, the big piece that came out of those inquiries for me was race. And so as I continue to study and learn and look at uh, my community, first my family, then my community, then our history, um, and understand what had happened to us and be able to Hmm. be able to write about it systemically and see it systemically. Then it, uh, I won't say it got easier, but I, I think it, it got simpler. Um, so when I get back to writing my memoir, race is absolutely a character without ever being named because I can point out this piece and that piece and all of the ways in which race shows up, shows up through poverty. It shows up through struggle. It shows up through uh, father loss. It shows up over and over again. There were, were times when my brother and I didn't know where our next meal was coming up was coming from. It showed up when my grandmother uh, would take out her change purse. My grandmother never carried a wallet. She carried a change purse that was as, about the size of the palm of your hand. And that's where she carried her money, in there or in, and mostly it was change, or in her stockings. She would roll up a quarter or a nickel in her stockings and hold her stockings up with that coin. Or she would take three or four quarters and knot them up in her handkerchief. You know, I have many, many illustrations of of uh, food inadequacy, food, what do they call it? Food insecurity today, they, they have that term. Um, Many illustrations of that, how she would make dollar, uh, half dollar sized pancakes for us some mornings when that was all she had was a little flour and a little what she called oleo. Uh, this is all about race. Um, 
the the the, uh, the violence of uh, discrimination, the, the violence of poverty, the violence of men who can't provide, of men who don't know who they are, of men who can't love because they their broken part has never been addressed. Uh, I, and I don't think you want me to go down that road too far because it would certainly get me off on a whole other um, conversation. But uh, I think that that's enough uh, of, an, of, a, of my best answer to that question about race as a character in this piece. Well, you, um, you know, you, you spoke of that all of your writing uh, is about healing. Mm-hmm. And part of the gift you've given us in this area, uh, in Asheville, uh, has been your devotion to uh, racial healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, in how does this memoir, in your mind, help contribute to that? Well, um, race is, is, um, is, a, is a form of oppression, and I feel like that sy- systemic uh, racism requires a certain amount of study. It requires a certain uh, certain language, and it requires a certain response in terms of uh, a personal response from all of us. Uh, I could say that womaning is my race story. You know, I could say that. And in it, I hold nothing back. I talk about the lineage uh, on my mother's side and how um, these these were women and a couple of men, but mostly women. It was definitely a matriarchal family. Uh, women run and men came and and went almost through a revolving door. There were a couple of uncles that were permanent fixtures, but the voices that you heard and the uh, decision-making and the glue that held it all together, well, that was the women. Um, So you have this. I definitely could put this, if racial healing was a table and and around which we were all sitting, those of us in community together, I could definitely put womaning on that table as my race story. As a woman of color, of as of African descent, as a woman uh, from uh, the south side of Chicago, who knew something about uh, ghetto life, if not um, uh, I-, I could say that I knew something about ghetto life, but even with that, having been sheltered from the worst parts of that. And I'm very uh, grateful to be able to say it that way. Um, There were certain things that we never experienced uh, that our neighbors did and that some of my friends did. I never lived in the projects, so to speak, but uh, many of my friends from church did. And in those projects, it was common knowledge that many of the people there uh, who could not afford um, 
regular food, I'll use that term regular food, would buy things like strong heart dog food and spread that on crackers. And I, this is what I've been told. I've never seen it, but this is what I've been told. We were never that bad off, but maybe one or two steps from it. Um, so poverty, food insecurity, um, father loss, domestic violence, and a loss of self. Um, my experience of race includes all those things. White people have lost themselves too. Uh, and where, when and where have they had the opportunity within community to write about, think about, write about, and speak about those losses and ex experiences and uh, begin to express some of that grief. Well, the opportunity that, that, that uh, you gave me in doing that uh, mm -hmm. has been life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm deeply grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, you are going to read for us. You're going to uh, have a reading. Yes, I will read. Um, I will read from the introduction of Womaning, uh, as I think is probably the best uh, selection for me to uh, go back to. You ready? Yes. Okay. I am a black woman of a certain age, time and place. Breaking the system of silence I was born into, writing this book as a means of healing. Here and now I write for myself, since my mother could not have written such a book for either one of us. I use a cisgender language with its many power inferences, although in my elder years I still learn to identify as gender nonconforming. Since I learned to be a woman growing up in the Missionary Baptist Church, where the teachings left me denying and losing myself, I have long since decentralized my worship and formulated my own restorative practice of spirituality. I am a baby boomer, belonging to that Americanized generation named for war, but that genuinely tried to change the warring world only to discover that war was built into the design. I cannot write, a, I cannot write anything about my life without including the music of my people, the music that made it possible for us to survive, to dance through life's passengers, with a golden sound track. Music that marked the times, occasions, moments worth remembering. Music is my reference point, and I use it to mark the stories I share here. The voice in the stories varies according to growth, speaking from a most interior place, speaking at once as observer and as observed. Through the stories, I come out of hiding, gradually leaving the shadows and standing in the morning light at last. The idea of intersectionality is helpful in describing, locating, marking the places oppressed people occupy. I write my life stories from the simultaneous, complicated experiences of religion, class, gender, and race. 
also describing the ways in which I learned eventually to live, heal, and formulate a work to help myself and others. My stories were written standing alone. There may be slight overlapping of time frame from story to story, but each one contains a life-shaping lesson and experiences. These are my secret stories, but not all. From writers I greatly respect, I learned in the end to hold something back for myself. I think that that um, is a wonderful reading that that illustrates what you've told us in mm-hmm. this interview. Mm-hmm. Um, talk with us about your choosing of this passage. Well, um, when I'm trying to describe to people who don't know me and don't know my work, don't know uh, what I'm about. I think the introduction, uh, and I'm thinking about my uh, your listeners. Um, I think that this is a good place to begin um, and helping them to get a sense, begin to get a sense of what this this memoir, this uh, this piece is all about. Well, thank you for giving us this gift. Uh, it is a work of courage. Uh, and a work of healing, as you as you talk about, uh, that continues to help us all heal. And I'm thankful uh, that you've shared with us today. Thank you, David. Happy to do it. That's why that's why I'm here. This is my life's work. I have to remind as I begin to think about retiring and moving to a whole new form of expression. I have to remind people and myself, this is my life's work, uh, the healing power of story and helping people to become aware, uh, hopefully through something in my teaching and writing as an example of what is possible for each of us uh, if we would begin to take the time and do the work. Well, it's, it's been that way for me uh, in my experience with you and, and with the others of the community uh, mm-hmm. that, that you have helped guide. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen it in their, their lives as well. Mm-hmm. Well, then my living has not been in vain. Well, now, if folks wanted to get this book, how can they do that? They can go to the website of Story Medicine Worldwide and uh, go to the shop page and find um, Womaning as the latest offering there of our publications and just place the order at the shop page, storymedicineworldwide.com. Okay, and, and they can also get your, your novels and your poems. Absolutely. There's there's three books that are there. Everything's not there yet, but uh, there's three books there. So you're right. Okay. And I, I, mm-hmm. will, I will, in addition, uh, put this in my blog spot. Uh, All right. Okay. Well, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. The intro and outro music for this episode is from a clip of a song called Father Let Your Kingdom Come, which is found on the Porter's Gate Worship Project Work Songs album and is used by permission 
from the Porter's Gate Worship Project. This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings. May the words from my mouth speak your peace.